So the world is a wondrous place, isn't it? When you look around, you can see how majestic, how great, how amazing it is. It's a place that is full of great beauty, great opportunity, wonderful people. And yet at the same time, you can look around and you can see that the world is also a place of great darkness and of great suffering. That there is violence, there is pain, there is war. And why is that? That how can we have this world filled with such beauty, such light, and at the same time, such darkness and suffering? And sometimes when I think about my own life, that some of the things that have happened to me, and I think the world is not a fair place. And you don't really need to look far to see that, do you? Child slavery, sex slavery, war, famine, violence, maybe closer to home, bullying, abuse. There are many things that make us think, that make me think, God, why does this happen? And the suffering it seems to be everywhere in this world. So if God exists, if God is truly good, why does suffering still exist as well? If you've ever felt like this, let me tell you, Habakkuk is the book for you. So a little bit of background. So from what we know about Habakkuk, we know that he was a prophet. Other than that, not, not too much. Habakkuk comes from the Hebrew word meaning to embrace. And it's probably a shortened form of the word, word Habakkuk, wait, let me pronounce it right. It's hard. Habakkukia, meaning whom Yahweh embraces. And based off what's mentioned in this book, we believe that the book was written between 625 and 605 BC. And the structure is as follows. We hear of, first, of Habakkuk's first complaint in chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. We hear God's first answer in chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. From chapters, chapter 1, verse 12 to the start of chapter 2, we then hear Habakkuk's second complaint. And then from, from ver, chapter 2, verse 2 to the end, we hear God's second answer. And then the whole chapter 3 is Habakkuk's psalm or his prayer. And the book basically is a conversation between Habakkuk and God. And we're just going to follow this along, we're going to explore it and try and understand it. Alrighty, so let's read from verses 2 to 4. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. So Habakkuk begins with a lament. He laments as he looks around and he sees the injustices in the world, at the injustices that Judah has committed and what they are doing. He sees all that is wrong with it. He sees the violence, the inequality, the strife, the destruction. He says, God, I cry out to you, why is all this happening? He knows this is, not, this is not how it should be. He cries out, he expects God, being a God of justice, to do something about all these things. But because he still sees that these injustices are happening, 
He questions God. He accuses him. God, I've cried out to you to bring justice, yet why have you not? You can't be a God of justice. If you are God and you're truly in control, why do I see all this happening? Why does chaos and destruction happen? And why do the guilty go unpunished? I'm just gonna, sorry, I'm just going to take my jacket off because it's very uncomfortable for me. Please excuse me. Cool. It's a bad time to take it off, unfortunately. And as we, as we see this, as we listen to this, isn't that such a relatable thing? To be saddened, to be ashamed and angered by injustice. When we see on the news, when we hear about how natural disasters decimate nations, when we hear about the abuse of a child by their parents, we think and we feel that that's not the way it's meant to be. And that's a fairly normal reaction, in my opinion. I think that any person in this world, whether or not they believe in God, has this innate sense of what is right and what is wrong. Or even a sense that not, is all, not all is right with the world. That for whatever reason, certain things just should not happen. And yet they still do. We have this longing for justice, for these wrongs to be made right. And as a Christian, I think my reaction when I hear about these things is exactly like Habakkuk. Even though I understand, I know that God is sovereign, I know that he's almighty and he's powerful, I ask, why does this happen? Why does it seem like God is silent in these things? I cry out to God for answers. I question and ask God, what are you going to do about all this? As we move on, we then hear God's answer. Wowee, this is going to be great. Habakkuk's ready. And Habakkuk, I think he's thinking, God's got a plan. He's got this. God is going to do something amazing, something unbelievable. The solution to everything, all this injustice, all these terrible things in the world, is the Babylonians. Wait, what? Are you sure, God? You want to raise up the Babylonians as the solution. Those impetuous warmongers whose only God is their strength, whose horses are swifter than their leopards, fiercer than wolves. They are the ones who seek destruction everywhere they go. Habakkuk's surprise, it's evident in verses 12 to 13. And he questions the character of God in this part. He says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? He questions why that to all the evil of Judah, that something even worse is the answer. In his eyes, the Babylonians are a far worse plague, a far greater evil than this current problem. And he can't understand how God, as a holy God, who can't stand evil, would use the most evil thing in Habakkuk's mind, to fix the problem. To Habakkuk, I think he expected that God's justice would be more in, in line with what he thought God's character was. 
and he doesn't know what else to say, when he hears that the answer, his answer to the question of where is justice is the Babylonians. And Habakkuk's desire for justice was not unfounded. But when he got this answer from God, he was just as surprised because the solution was just as bad as the problem. And yet, is it not exactly what he asked for? He wanted justice and God gave him that. He was horrified at the thought that God would allow the Babylonians to continue this path of destruction they were on. As bad as what Judah had become, Babylon was far worse. But at the start of chapter 2, after he once again complains to God, we see how he understands that God will answer him. He trusts that. He understands that. And I would say his doubt is not in God's ability, but rather in the method itself. And the danger is that, for us, is that instead of trusting God, waiting for his answer, we might think, we might feel that we know better. We might then take things into our own hands. And that's not what we should do. When we want justice for the things in this world, for whatever injustice we see, automatically we do think at times that we ourselves know what is best. We think that we know that the solution to every problem. As people, we have this desire, that this want, this feel to fix people's problems. Maybe it's to feed pride. Maybe it's because it's tied in with our own self-worth and how we feel about our, ourselves. Or we instead, we let these things weigh us down. When it seems that there's nothing we can do, that anything we do would not even touch the problem. We seek to know and we want to have answers to every problem. As we go through the rest of the second chapter, God's justice is given to the unjust Babylonians. That the very thing they pride themselves on, the very thing they do with war, battle and carnage becomes their downfall. We see the phrase five times, woe to him over and over. Woe to him who piles stolen goods and extorts others. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain. To him who builds a city with bloodshed, who makes their neighbours drunk. To him who worships idols. Each time a woe is said, God says that these things will be punished, that these things will be their downfall. God answers Habakkuk. His answer, once again, is justice. For all the wrongdoing, not just for Judah, but for Babylon as well. Even though they were the tool in God's justice towards Judah, against their wrongs, it did not excuse them. It did not forego their own wrongdoings. God, in this answer, he reassures Habakkuk that he, the Lord God, will deliver his justice. In verses 2 to 3, we see this. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. We see that God promises that justice will come to the Babylonians, just as justice came to Judah. Habakkuk, he needs to remember this. He, he needs to pass it on to those who come after him. 
And as we've seen in the past two chapters, what does Habakkuk do? He prays and he waits. He implores, he goes to God. He understands that he himself cannot do anything. It is not on him to right the wrongs in this world, to serve justice to injustice, because he's not God. He knows that God is the creator of the world. He knows that as the creator of the world, God is the only one who has the right to give judgment to those on this earth. Throughout these two chapters, God, Habakkuk he continually wrestles with God. He doesn't know, he doesn't understand, but he, tem- he attempts, he seeks God out for answers. He comes back to him continually because he understands who God is. He understands the character of God. And because of that, he understands he can rely on that. He can trust in him. Habakkuk sees that God is sovereign. He sees that he, he's in control, even if he doesn't understand the methods. As we enter chapter 3, the tone of the book switches. Before, we will listen to Habakkuk complain. We will listen to him wrestle and call out to God because of all the injustices he sees. But then when we come to chapter 3, Habakkuk sings God's praises. In chapter 3, verse 2, we read, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. And as we continue through chapter 3, we see the praise and the acknowledgement of God's power. In verse 6, he stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. Verse 13, you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to toe. From verses 16 to 19, we see Habakkuk acknowledges the calamity that the Babylonians are. He acknowledges that that's what's coming to Judah. That is the justice that is coming. He's scared. His heart pounds, his lips quiver, his legs tremble. But then in verses 18 and 19 we read, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on new heights. Though Habakkuk is scared and he's fearful of the judgment coming, he trusts, he relies on God. He understands that God is watching over him. He knows God will guide him. Habakkuk's source of strength, of joy, of hope is God. In this position of humble, God-fearing and enduring faith that Habakkuk adopts, he bows, he trusts in God, in that justice, in God's power. He understands who God is and the power that he has. And as Habakkuk's strength and refuge is in God, for Christians, that should be the same. Throughout the book, we've seen Habakkuk wrestle and question God about the things he sees in this world, about the suffering and the injustice. The solution God presents and his own fears and trembling. At the culmination of this in chapter 3, he continues to rely and praise God. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. 
He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The sovereign Lord is my strength. In times of trouble, God is our strength. When we don't know where to go, when we don't know what to do, that is who we go to. Habakkuk is a story and a very relatable one at that. Because just as Habakkuk does, we also wrestle with God. We also question God. We ask him, why does this happen? Why does suffering exist? In all this, the key to understanding the book of Habakkuk and how it relates to us now is in chapter 2, verse 4, the second bit. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. One commentary says this about the book of Habakkuk. This book reveals a genuine sharing of doubt that assails all believers, a feeling that God stands aside for the moral struggle of the believer. This doubt is removed not by the addition of new facts, but simply by the addition of a new perspective. Not new revelation, but new insight into old revelation. For any person who believes in God, for any Christian for that matter, doubt is going to be a factor. Questions are going to be a factor. But as we can see in Habakkuk, we, this is okay. That we can have faith, we can have insight on how to approach these things and how to approach these doubts about suffering, about injustice and about God. If we only had chapter 1, if we only read chapter 1, it would be easy to say and suggest that the solution to the problem is that evil can repay evil. An eye for an eye, if you will. That the best way to punish evil is to just retaliate with the same. Because the end justifies the means. If the point is to combat evil and to combat injustice, why does it matter how you get there? As long as the result is achieved. And if that is the case, then all we have is an endless cycle. Violence repaying violence. Again and again and again. Never ending. Two wrongs don't make a right. Wrong repaying wrong does not justify how you got there in the first place. Because if we follow this logic, all we're doing is feeding this cycle. But God's broken this cycle. He's broken it by sending his son Jesus. We see God bring justice to, Bab- to, the, to Judah through Babylon. And then we hear that he brings it to Babylon through the other nations. In the same way, the violence of man, the sin and evil was taken upon God himself when he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross. But that was not all. He died, but he rose again to conquer evil and death. The book, that's Jackie. The book of Habakkuk gives us a glimpse into what's wrong with the world, it, and it points towards that need for justice. That true justice is not just repaying evil with evil and punishing again and again, but breaking the cycle. This is exactly what God has done in Jesus. He's taken all that, all the sin, all the evil onto himself. God shows his justice through this, that he took that punishment meant for us onto himself. But that's not the end, because like Habakkuk, when we look around the world now, we still see injustice. 
But as Christians, what this gives us is it gives us hope. Because as we look forward to that day when Jesus returns, we know, we understand that suffering is not forever, that it will end. All these terrible things, all the terrible injustices in the world that happen to us and that happen to everyone around us will end. That when God brings his justice, when Jesus returns for his people, that this is a great thing. True justice is achieved in Jesus because it breaks this never-ending cycle of suffering, of violence and of evil. We can know God. We can call him our Father. And even though there is still great darkness in the world, knowing that Jesus has already won the battle, it allows us to live a life not down and out, blaming ourselves for what is happening in the world, but hopeful knowing that it's not going to last forever. It's not wrong to question God. It's okay to have doubts, to wrestle with these things. But how we do it and what, we, what attitude we deal with is vitally important. Like Habakkuk, we should understand who God is, understand his character and understand his power. We understand this and we understand he's in control. Even when we see one injustice gone and the next one rise. Habakkuk was close enough to God that he could wrestle with him, that he could question and be faithful to him at the same time. He knew that God would act justly even if he didn't understand it at the time. It is this enduring faith. It's understanding that there is nothing out of God's control. That through Jesus, ultimate justice has come. One, that day when Jesus returns, all suffering, all evil, that cycle will end. It's humbling to know that God is so good and in control. We can doubt, we can, crush, we can question. And I think it's important to our faith and for those around us for those who talk with, because we can relate to them a bit better. We, we don't need to be faraway people thinking we have all the answers. It allows us, it affords us the opportunity to try and understand God better and to try and understand those around us better. To be faithful in how he's revealed himself to him and how he might continue to reveal himself to us and those plans he has for us. That even if we don't understand exactly why things happen or exactly why God does things the way he does, and I think as Habakkuk did, we can trust in him still because you know what kind of God he is. We understand the character. And ultimately, God loved this world so much that he gave Jesus, his one and only son, so we can wait, which is pretty hard, waiting. We have this natural curious, this fidgetiness, this desire and this onus that justice and helping those in the world is on us. We live in this society now that's constantly on the go. We expect, we expect problems just to be fixed like that. We expect to have every answer to every question ever asked on this world. What Habakkuk teaches us is that the solution to our problems in a big way, is to trust in the plan that God has. 
Not just in the way where we kind of go back and forth in the motions of life, like uni students do most of the time, taking us where they may. But as we saw in chapter 3, to continue with our lives, to wait readily for God's answer. God's given us strength to endure the hardships that come. doesn't mean, and it does not excuse us from trying to do what we can to assist in helping people, to assist in ending injustice, and to try and fix problems in this world, whether personal or corporate. And if anything, I think it should motivate us to do more because we understand that that is not right. But what it does is it frees us from the burden knowing that even if things don't change, that justice will still come. That when Jesus returns, suffering and evil will end. Not only true in this world, but also personally, in our own lives. That any of the unjust things that have happened to us will end. Justice has been done through Jesus. When he returns, suffering will never return. And if we depend on anything other than God, all that is going to do is lead us into despair. There is not any other source of wisdom or strength that will bring us through this kind of situation. When we depend on anything other than God, we are bound to fail. Habakkuk was a great example of how the righteous live by faithfulness. Because he wrestled, he questioned why suffering existed. Why God didn't do anything. But he still trusted in God's plan. We can live faithfully, we can rely on God. We can live out our faith. We do this, we can allow ourselves to submit to God's power that whatever doubts may plague us, whatever concerns or questions we might have, when we wrestle with God about suffering, about injustice, about anything in our lives, we ultimately have faith knowing what God has already done and what he will do when Jesus returns. We can look toward that day hopeful knowing that suffering will end when Christ returns to bring us all home. And I think that's a great thing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for Habakkuk. That he wrestled, he questioned, but he enjoyed it, Lord. That he trusted in you. Even when he was scared, even when he didn't know what to do or what was going on. Lord, help us to do the same. That there are many hard things in this world, in our lives. Um, even if I guess we can't measure one suffering against another sometimes. That we can still trust in you. We can bring all these things to you in prayer and petition. That we can ask questions. We can wrestle with our faith. But help us ultimately, Lord, to trust in your word. To trust in what you've done for us in Jesus. As we look forward to the day when he returns, help us to be hopeful. Help us not to be dragged down by our powerlessness, but to be lifted up in your power. 
knowing that you are God who is in control. Understanding that we're not going to have all the answers, and that's okay. But help us to be people who seek out you, Lord, in every aspect of our life. To know that you can still be glorified even in our suffering, hard as that may be. Lord, as we go through this week, help us to remember these things. To know and understand and reflect on your word. In Jesus' name, amen.